and we come to our Bible reading for Easter Sunday morning and it's taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and we are reading the first 18 verses. And John, chapter 20, starting at verse 1. And John wrote this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the linen strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been round Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realise that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. (coughs) Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And we leave John's account there. The stone was gone. The other week you might have seen that the BBC commissioned a survey by comrades on people's beliefs in the resurrection. 2,010 people took part in the survey and just over half of them considered themselves to be Christians, though only 16% were active Christians, seemingly defined as those who attend church at least once a month. When asked whether they believed in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, half of all respondents said they did not believe in the resurrection. And you might assume that that was the kind of the non-Christian half, and the other half was the Christian half, but it's a bit more complicated than that. Intriguingly, 
almost a quarter of those who considered themselves to be Christians said they did not believe in the resurrection. And that's what the BBC zoned in on in terms of their headline. A quarter of Christians don't think the resurrection happened. Even more bizarrely, perhaps, more than two-fifths of non-Christians said they did believe in the resurrection. And that's really confusing. Clearly this is a whole area where there's a vast degree of difference of opinion and some scope for debate. Overall, 17% of those questions said they believed the biblical account of the resurrection word for word. And among active Christians, that percentage rises to 57%, taking it literally word for word. 26% of all respondents said they believed in the resurrection, but thought that the biblical account included material that should not be taken literally. Among active Christians, that proportion rose to 36%. So let me invite you to ponder. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? Clearly I can't take it for granted that all of you do here. Do you believe it? And if so, do you accept that it happened word for word as described in the Bible? Or do you think there are some aspects to the story that should not be taken literally, where would you stand? How would you answer if you were one of those questioned in the survey? And does it matter? We listened earlier to the account of the discovery of the empty tomb in John's Gospel. We follow Mary and the two other disciples in their bewilderment and confusion as they try and make sense of what is going on. Some of us, listening to that story, will know that Jesus really did rise from the dead, and that's what makes sense of everything. Others of us may not be quite so sure. And we ourselves are on a similar kind of journey of discovery and exploration and inquiry as we try and make sense of of the empty tomb and the stupendous, astonishing claim that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today. And if you're one of those who who really isn't sure what to make of the events recounted in the story of that first Easter, then you are in good company. Because it's apparent that neither Mary nor the other two disciples had a clue what was going on. As the narrative unfolds, it doesn't really make sense. You may find yourself identifying with them in their struggle to comprehend what they see, because it's apparent from John's Gospel that seeing is one thing, believing is quite another Faith is not a matter of sight. So Mary, she's first on the scene. She gets to the tomb while it's still dark. And she can just make out that the stone which had been placed over the entrance to the tomb to seal it has been rolled away. And the mouth of the tomb is empty. And she's understandably scared of being alone in a graveyard with an open tomb in front of her. So she runs for help. The possibility that Jesus might be alive doesn't even seem to cross her mind. She says to Peter and the other disciple, they, whoever they are, have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they've put him. The body has either been stolen or moved by the authorities. Either scenario is equally disastrous as far as she's concerned. 
So the two disciples race to the tomb and the disciple who was closest to Jesus gets there first and looks inside and sees grave clothes lying there, but no body. And when Peter gets to the tomb, he goes inside and sees not just the grave clothes, but also the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. That's neatly folded up and put to one side. Then the disciple closest to Jesus goes in and he sees, and we're told he believes. What exactly does he believe? We're not told, and and maybe he would have found it impossible to put into words at that moment in time if you'd asked him, what do you believe? We just Maybe he didn't understand precisely what had happened, but faced with the empty tomb and the grave clothes, he felt that whatever had happened, this was an act of God. God had done something amazing. Had he and the other disciple known and understood the scripture saying that Jesus had to rise from the dead, that would have helped them make more sense of it. But as it was, John says they didn't. That didn't give them the degree of understanding that they needed to make sense of what they saw. And frustratingly for us, John doesn't spread out what scripture he had in mind. Maybe that's because he doesn't want to spoon feed us as his readers. But his comment that these two followers of Jesus didn't know that the scriptures spoke of Jesus' resurrection is perhaps a veiled invitation to us to do some digging around in the Old Testament to see what scriptures can help us make sense of what is going on. Two stand out. One key passage has to be Isaiah 53, which prophesies the suffering and death of the servant of the Lord. And in chapter 11 it says, after the suffering of his soul, he will see light and be satisfied. It's a bit of an obscure passage, but it clearly seems to indicate that after he's died, something will happen that will enable him to see light and will be satisfied as a result of that. There is something beyond the death of this servant, and light suggests that he sees life again. Or there's Psalm 16, written by David, which Peter interprets as a prophecy about Jesus in his first sermon on the day of Pentecost. So the psalm is filled with confidence about life after death, and Peter says that confidence talks about the resurrection of Jesus. When it says, my tongue is glad and my heart rejoices, my body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. And Peter says those words can't be true of David because you can visit his tomb today. But David was a prophet and he spoke of Jesus and those words are true of Jesus whose tomb is empty today. Had those verses come to those disciples' mind that Sunday morning, they might have helped them to make sense of what is going on. But as it was on the basis of what the beloved disciples saw, he believed, even though he really still didn't understand. And some of us may find ourselves in that position this morning. We are prepared to believe, even though we can't quite make sense of it all. And that's no, posi- no bad position to be in, actually, because it's faith, not our level of understanding, that saves us. You don't have to understand it all to believe it and put your trust in Jesus. Back to the tomb. After the two men leave, Mary's left alone and she peeks into the tomb and she sees two angels in white. Where on earth did they come from? They weren't there before. 
but they're there now. One either side of the place where Jesus' body had been. And when they ask her why she's crying, it's clear that Mary is still stuck on the idea that someone has moved Jesus' body to an undisclosed location. They've taken my Lord away, she says. I don't know where they put him. You get the sense of desolation in those words. Then as she turns away from the tomb, there is Jesus. But though she sees him, she doesn't recognise him, which is also a bit bizarre. She thinks he's the gardener and wonders whether he is perhaps the one who's moved the body. It's only when Jesus speaks her name, Mary, that she realises who he is and gives him a hug. And this is, this then is no disembodied spirit, but a tangible, physical being. And Jesus tells her to let him go and go back and tell the disciples that he's going back to his father. So off she goes and tells them, I've seen the Lord, she says. And for Mary, the moment of recognition only comes when Jesus speaks her name. She's not convinced by the stone being rolled away, the empty grave clothes, or even a couple of angels. Not even a sight of Jesus himself persuades her that he's alive. What does the trick is when he speaks her name. That's the moment of recognition and belief. Faith is not a matter of seeing, then. Emil Brunner said some wise words. You believe in the resurrection, he said. Not because it's reported by the apostles, but because the resurrected one himself encounters you in a living way. Most people who believe in the resurrection believe in it because in some way, shape or form they've encountered Jesus as risen Lord in their experience in their lives. So there's no point actually in my trying to persuade you that Jesus is alive if you don't believe in it. In actual fact, no amount of persuasion on any preacher's part is ever going to be sufficient basis for anyone's faith. Even John's account of that first Easter morning is not, I suspect, designed to create faith in those who hear it, but he takes his readers on a journey and invites them to identify with Mary and those two disciples as they struggle to make sense of what's going on. It's an invitation to each of us to ponder and reflect. What what really happened? What does it all mean? How do I make sense of this? And sometimes it's in in those periods of honest, open inquiry that we have an encounter with Jesus. Something happens to make us realise actually that it's true. (coughs) Jesus is real. That Jesus is alive. And he impacts on our lives today. And if that happens, a bit like Neo in the film The Matrix, we're faced with a choice. Do we take the red pill or the blue pill? Because you can't just walk away and pretend that that moment of encounter never happened and life will carry on uninterrupted as normal. Or you can begin to figure out the implications of what it means if Jesus really is alive and he's just spoken to us or answered one of our prayers or made himself known in a dream or a vision or maybe we've just had a sense that we've been in touch with Something that is the ultimate reality that we can't ignore. And the implications are life-changing because if Jesus is alive and we've had an encounter with him, then nothing can ever 
be the same again. Everything is different. Leslie Newbigin put it this way, it's never been at any time possible to fit the resurrection of Jesus into a worldview except a worldview of which it is the basis. And one of the reasons why people struggle with the resurrection is because, you know, if it's true, you can't just lock it away in a cupboard somewhere and forget about it. If it's true, everything is different. Everything has to change. If Jesus is real and alive, the world is a different place. What's changed? What difference does it make? At one level, the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. If Jesus' life ended on Good Friday and that was it, we are left with despair. All we have is a good, innocent man who was victimised, betrayed, tortured and executed. And that kind of thing happens all the time. It's a depressingly familiar scenario in what looks and feels like a God-forsaken world. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then death and despair do not have the last word. God has not abandoned us to our fate. The powers of evil do not triumph in the end. Goodness, truth, righteousness and life will prevail. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. It gives us a reason and the power to do what is right in a world gone wrong. Because God wins in the end. And the resurrection of Jesus means that we are not alone. But God is real. And he's with us. And when we pray, we're not just speaking words or thinking thoughts into thin air. There is someone who hears and understands and answers. So when we find resources beyond our own to cope with impossible situations, when something amazing and unexpected happens just after we've prayed, when we have a deep sense of inner peace, or an overwhelming sense of being loved by God, or a joy that sweeps over us despite our circumstances, these things are not the product of wishful thinking, or the power of just pretending that everything's going to be alright. These things happen because Jesus is alive. They are manifestations of a truth and a reality that Jesus is with us, and he can be trusted. There is a whole dimension to our lives which informs and empowers everything we do and all that we are. And lastly, if Jesus is alive, then there is life after death. In that survey I mentioned at the beginning, 46% of people said they didn't believe in life after death. 46% said they did. And those who said they did believe, one in three said they believed in some kind of reincarnation. The other two thirds, in another life where your soul lives on. If the resurrection of Jesus is real, then that is the clearest sign that this life is not all there is. If Jesus is alive, that means he has defeated death and emerged victorious on the other side of the grave. And because he lives, we can live as well if we put our trust in him 
and commit our lives to him. And that life is guaranteed. He is the one who guarantees life after death to those who put their trust in him because he's the one who could bring us through death and out the other side. And that life is not some nebulous, shadowy existence floating around on a cloud somewhere. If Jesus is the model for our resurrection, then it is a resurrection life that is astonishingly vibrant and physical. This resurrection life means empty graves, reconstituted bodies, a life without limits and a life without end, a life to come that puts everything about this life in the shade. And good as this life can be, and may have been for you, and I hope and pray it still is, what is to come is far, far better. So while there may be so much here you really don't want to leave behind when your time comes, there is actually far more to look forward to. Because Jesus is alive. Well, that's what I think anyway. What do you think? Is Jesus alive? Is the resurrection real? You need to make your own mind up over that. Does it matter? Does it make any difference? Absolutely. If Jesus is alive, that transformed the whole of our lives here and now, both in the present and for eternity. And that's why I, for one, am so relieved to be able to believe that what we read in John's Gospel isn't just a good story. It's true. It's true. It's been true down the centuries. Put your trust in Jesus and find it's true for you as well. Let's stand and sing together.